scripture is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Good morning, church family. My name is Lee and I'm one of the pastors here at FBC Benicia, and we are so grateful that you chose to join us this morning just for some time of worship, some time of reading of God's Word, and begin to just talk about more of the things that, that God has to say to us. During this time, uh, last week, Pastor Matt introduced our new sermon series called Onward, and it's going through the book of 2 Timothy, and Paul is writing to Timothy when he's in jail. Paul is in jail at this point, and so he's writing to Timothy because Timothy is going to be carrying on the mission that Paul has set forward of the gospel of Jesus. Paul's been doing a lot of this work. Paul's in jail. He's about to die. At least he thinks that he's about to die at this point. And so he wants to pass on what has been happening and remind Timothy of the things that Christ has done so that it will strengthen Timothy. And that's what this letter is all about. It's all about Paul's kind of final words to Timothy as Timothy continues the important mission of carrying on the gospel. And so what this kind of makes me think of, like one of, I love movies where someone has to sacrifice for the greater good or has to give up something they want so that others can be rescued. Just this idea of self-sacrifice, to me, is just very appealing I think especially because in today's culture we see so much selfishness, so much focus on the self, but this idea of, of you know what, this, this mission, this thing that we're going for is of more importance than just me. You know, the Star Wars movies have been around for a long time. I've loved them since I can remember being a little kid. Uh, I believe that Star Wars A New Hope was the first movie that I saw at the movie theater. And so I've always been a huge fan and so with some of the new movies that have come out, you know, they come out with kind of the new sequels, but they've also thrown in some individual prequels here and there. And so one of the ones they threw out was Rogue One, which is the prequel to Star Wars A New Hope. Now, if you know about the Star Wars world, then everything I just said to you makes perfect sense. If you don't know about it, let's be honest, you probably don't care, because at this point, I don't know how you wouldn't have seen it if you actually had wanted to. But one of the things in Rogue One is the rebels, who are the good guys. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to get this information to, to other rebels on another planet about the Death Star, right? This like the big evil empires created this Death Star. They can blow everything up. 
And so what they want to do is they steal the plans for the Death Star, the rebels do, and they're trying to send that signal to their friends, to their allies, to let them know how to defeat the Death Star. And so there comes a time in the movie, this is a spoiler alert, so close yours if you want to watch this movie later, where they know that they're going to die. The rebels know that they're going to die. So at that point, they have two options. They can either wallow in their own self-pity and think about, man, oh, I can't believe we worked so hard, but now we're going to die. Or they can use that time to try and still send that signal, to try and still send that message, because the mission continues to go on. And so that's what they do. They take a look at each other, and they realize they're going to die, but it does not stop their mission. And I, there's just something in that, that that I love movies like that, where it's this idea of, you know what, the mission is more important than my life. And that's kind of the setting for Paul writing to Timothy here. Paul is in prison. He's about to die. And so instead of writing to Timothy and saying, Timothy, hey, get some people and try and get me out of jail. Try and save my life. Now, I'm sure Paul would have been okay with that, but it wasn't his top priority. His top priority was furthering the gospel, was carrying that mission forward. And so this is his letter to Timothy, like, hey, I'm in jail, but that's not the most important thing. You continuing the work that God has laid out, that is the most important thing. Doing these things, sharing the gospel, seeing life transformed, that's what I want you to focus on. And so I, I love this letter because Paul gives the sense like, hey, things are not easy. Things are not going to be easy. But it's still more important. The mission, the gospel of Jesus is priority number one. And so that's what he's writing to Timothy about. And Pastor Matt spoke last week, the first five verses of 2 Timothy. And Paul's just reminding Timothy of their relationship and also of the relationship that his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice have had on Timothy. And that's a big deal because at this time, it was a very patriarchal society and women were not viewed as having a lot to contribute. And Jesus changes all that. You can look all through the Gospels how women are included in such a wonderful thing because it includes everyone in this Gospel and in this faith. And these women, their impact on Timothy was so great that that's how Paul knows that Timothy is going to be able to continue in the faith because of the faith of his grandmother, because of the faith of his mother, and the way they led him in that faith. Paul believes that Timothy is going to be able to do the things that God has called him to. And so that's where we end. That's where we connect from verse 5 to verse 6. Today we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. So if you're you know, you got your Bible with you, open that up. If you've got the app on your phone, open that up. We're also going to have the words on the bottom of the screen. Um, so kind of dealer's choice at this point. But let's follow along with this and see how verse 5, what Pastor Matt read about last week, ended with talking about the faith of Timothy's family, of the women in his life, and how that has prepared him for now what Paul's going to talk to him about. So we're in verses 6 through 12. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, 
but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. These are seven verses. It doesn't seem like a lot, but there is a lot to unpack here. So let's go ahead and get started. In verse 6, Paul begins by saying, for this reason. Again, it's hearkening back to verse 5 where he talks about the faith of the women in his life. And he says, for this reason. Because of what's happening, because I know that faith in you is strong, Paul is saying, now I want you to fan into flame, verse 6 says, fan into flame the gift of God. God has equipped Timothy, has given him the gifts for what God has called him to do. The the same is true of us, by the way. The gifts God has given you, he has equipped you for his work. God has given you gifts to further his kingdom. What we need to understand with the gifts that God has given us is two things. One, they are not from us and they are not for us. God's gifts are not from us, they're from him, and they're not for us. They're for his glory, they're for encouraging others in building up people for Jesus. So our gifts are not supposed to be a selfish thing, but we do have them. They're specific for what God has called us to. That's how I know that God has not called me to a singing career. I I love to sing. If it were up to me, that would have been one of the gifts I would have received is the gift of singing. But if you have heard me sing, which most of you haven't, it's pretty bad, so much so that when I sing around the house, and again, I love to sing. So when I sing around the house, my kids say, let's see, what's the word they go with? Um, they say, Dad, that's horrible. Can you please stop? Yes, it's, it's funny. It's hilarious. Because, because I know I can't sing, I'm not like devastated by that, right? I don't like have this false idea that I can sing and they're taking me down a peg like, I know where my singing skills are, but I still enjoy it. But that's not a gift that God has given me, right? If, if, I, if I try to get up here and do what, what Darren does, um, every single one of you would turn off your screen and be like, you know what, I, I, I got other things I need to do. But God has gifted me with other things for what he has called me to do. The same thing for you. God has given you gifts. I, I don't know what your gifts are. I know there are things that we are more inclined to do, things that we like to do, things that we know can benefit and encourage others. And so the question is, how do we use those for God's glory? And so what Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy's going to have to continue sharing the gospel. And that's his gift to be able to communicate that. And so Paul is telling him to fan it into flame. Now, again, as I said, our gifts are not from us and they're not for us. And the Bible talks about this a lot. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21, it says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant 
brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will. Not ours, doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Do you see that? It's not that our gifts be pleasing to us, but it's that we use our gifts, the gifts that God has given us, because it is pleasing to Him. Because that's when our gifts are best used, when we're worshiping and we're doing things that honor God. So that is about our gifts. The rest of verse 6 again says, Paul tells Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God. So what's, what's he mean by that? He's, he's saying be intentional. Right? Be intentional about the faith that you have, about the gift God has given you. He wants, Paul wants Timothy to make sure that it continues to keep going. If you've ever been around a campfire, right? You start, you start your campfire, and what happens if you leave it alone? You don't touch it. It eventually goes out and it eventually dies, right? You don't have a campfire anymore. In order to keep it going, to keep that flame going, right? You add some sticks, you add another log or two, you add some pieces of wood you can find. You have to be intentional and you have to be active in that fire continuing to go. Now, I know it's kind of dangerous to talk about fires with everything that's happening. Um, you know, we're, people are still dealing with those things. We want to continue to pray for them. But for this, for, for a campfire, let's try and let's bring it in from the, the big things that are happening to just a little campfire that we're around. In order for that to grow, we have to feed it. The same thing is true of our faith. In order for our faith to grow, in order for our gifts that God has given us, we have to feed them. We have to continue to work in that. And so one of the things I found interesting during this, you want to call it virus time, quarantine, what, you know, at this point, I don't think we really care what we call it, but just, it's this time period that's just insane. <clears throat> During this time, when I've talked to other people who are believers, it seems as though there have been one of two options. Number one, people are taking the time to, to get more into God's Word, to, to journal more, to pray more, to spend time talking about faith. And then the other side of the coin is that some people have become so distracted and overwhelmed by all circumstances that it's blocked that time with Jesus that people aren't fanning things in the flame because they're so worried about everything else that's happening and looking to those things instead of looking to God. So we do have a part of playing that. As I said, our gifts are not from us, they're not for us. But with what God has given us, what are we doing with what God has given us? Are you using this time to be intentional about growing in your faith? Or are instead, are you noticing every little distraction, every little thing that doesn't go exactly the way you want it to, and we get so intensely focused on that that we become distracted from spending time with God and distracted from fanning that flame. In verse 7, Paul goes on. After he talks about fanning the flame, right, he says, okay, you're, you're going you're to work this gift that God has given you, and then you're going to use it but he tells Timothy, he's like, hey, Timothy, God did not give us a, a spirit that would make us timid or that would make us afraid. Now, we first might think, why, why does Paul need to bring that up? Timothy has, has been with Paul on some of his journeys before, so Paul's aware of what Timothy's like. And I would imagine if there was some fear for Timothy at the beginning, it's probably not that way now. 
But let's think about this, right? Let's put this in the context. Where's Paul writing from? He's in prison. He's in prison. And so what he's going to tell Timothy is like, hey, I want you to continue following in my footsteps in sharing the gospel. So if Timothy's going to follow in Paul's footsteps to share the gospel, it's likely that Timothy's also going to follow Paul's footsteps into prison. And so that creates this sense of fear, right? That it has the potential to create this sense of fear. And so Paul's reminding Timothy, hey, if there is a spirit of fear that comes upon you, then you need to know that it's not from God. I'm not saying that there's never anything for us to be afraid of in our lives, but a overall spirit of fear is not from God. But the spirit God gives us, what does it have? Let's look, look back in verse 7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Power, love, and self-discipline. Now, we need to think about this because the Bible's definition of these words and the world's definition of these words are completely different. In our American culture, when we talk about power, what we mean is control. Right? I want more power. That means I want to be in charge of more things. I want control over more things. The Bible's definition of power, especially when it talks about the spirit God has given us, the power to get things done, the power for God to work things out in people's lives. That's the power it's talking about. Right? The, 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 words, the words that we read from the Bible, that's, that's the power. I, I don't have any power in this. It's God's power that's working through the Bible. So God gives us that, that ability to do things that we cannot do on our own. And a lot of that involves how we minister, how we share the gospel through our actions and through our words with people that are in our sphere of influence. The next thing the Spirit God gives us is love. And again, we need to make a distinction between the world's definition of love and the Bible's definition of love. The world's definition of love, if you asked 50 different people, you'd probably get 50 different responses. The Bible's definition of love is self-sacrifice for the good of others. And that was shown through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Self-sacrifice for others. That's what love is. If, you, if, you've, if you've been in a marriage before, you, you know that. The more that we're willing to self-sacrifice for the good of our spouse, the better our marriage is. It's when we want to like, put ourselves first. We want the other person to sacrifice for us. That's when things kind of get crazy. But the Bible's definition of love, the kind of love that God's Spirit gives us, is one of self-sacrifice. And then the third thing he lists is self Discipline. Self-discipline is a hard one, especially because we live in such an affluent country that we don't really want for anything. I'm not saying there's not times in our lives where that doesn't come up, but for the majority of our lives, we don't really lack or want for anything, so we don't have to exercise self-discipline. But when it comes to furthering the gospel, we need to, and here's why, because if we don't, then we'll let our emotions and our passions guide everything that we do. 
You've seen this a lot, especially now during the whole, you know, people are divided over the, the mask or not having a mask. With election time coming up, people are divided over which side to be on. And so emotion is going crazy. Um, it's become a game of who can shout the loudest. And so if we, if we go off of those emotions, instead of, instead of using self-discipline when we're sharing the gospel, then here's how that comes across, right? This is saying, hey, I don't like you. I'm going to say terrible things about you. I'm going to cuss at you because you vote different than I do. And then the next day I'm going to say, but hey, you should really, you should really love Jesus. You should come to Jesus. You should figure out what's going on. Who's going to want that? If one day it's okay for you to cuss me out and to tell me how much you don't like me because we vote differently, and then the next day you're going to tell me that I need Jesus, I, I don't want that Jesus. Nobody wants that Jesus. But if we use a self-discipline to say, I'm not responding to emotion, but I'm responding out of what I know is right and then doing what that is. That's what Paul's reminding Timothy. There's, it's going to be a heavy emotional time, right? Because people are getting thrown in jail. Believers are getting thrown in jail. That's not something that just happens calmly. There's going to be a lot of emotion. And, and Paul's telling him, listen, if that controls you, then you're not going to do the right thing. It's not that emotions are bad. It's not that they're wrong. But if they guide us, it can really take us a place where we can't maximize what we're trying to do for the kingdom of God. So that's what Paul tells him. Have that self-discipline. And then we head to verse 8. Verse 8, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, this is the key, Let's see, let's see who, who wants this. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So he, first he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. So we'll take, that, we'll take that sentence first. He's saying, don't be ashamed. Because what has been happening, Paul and, and the believers are, are proclaiming, hey, there's victory in Jesus. There's victory in Jesus. But yet, Paul's in prison. How, how does that work? That's kind of, Paul, it kind of seems the more we talk about victory in Jesus, the more bad things happen. So there can be a tendency to be kind of embarrassed or ashamed of that. But Paul says, not only don't be ashamed, let's look at the second, the second sentence in verse 8, because I know everybody's got this on their to-do list. It says, rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Like, Timothy, come on, come on, man, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go suffer over here for the gospel? Come on, man, it'll be, it'll be fun. Let's go do this together. Are you kidding me? Well, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to deal with this knowing that suffering's coming. Man, I can't imagine that that is on many of our to-do lists. And see, that's the part about Christianity, about the Bible, that we don't always like. But yet it's so, so important. 
to be able to see this. Because Christianity is not about self-improvement, it's about self-denial. Let me repeat that for you. Christianity is not about self-improvement, it's about self-denial. It's about denying ourselves and following Jesus. Because we get this, sometimes American Christianity in some places has this idea that, hey, Come to Jesus, everything is going to be cool, everything is going to be great, you're going to get all the things you want. And that's an attractive message, right? There, people want to hear that. But that's not necessarily the reality of what the Bible says. Even, even Jesus says it in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. This is Jesus talking. Then he, being Jesus, called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Does this sound like American Christianity? No. A lot of American Christianity is living your best life now. And Jesus says, nah, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, for most of us, by sharing the gospel, by living out our faith, at least for now, we're not going to have the same type of suffering that Paul had. We're not going to be put in prison in America. Sharing the gospel, it creates some uncomfortableness sometimes. It, It creates... There's a fear of us having strained relationships with people we talk to. There's a fear of losing jobs. I've lost a previous job for, for being a Christian. Those are things that are real. And, and so when we hear this word suffering, we're all going to have different things that come to mind. Because what I consider suffering, you may not consider to be suffering. And the same for what you consider to be suffering may not be suffering to me. Right? But if we're looking at the principle of this, it's not going to be all cake and ice cream in following Jesus. It's going to be about self-denial for the kingdom. Not just self-denial for the sake of self-denial, but to deny our wants in order for what Jesus wants. to deny that we are king of our lives and to submit to what he would have for us to do. That's what faith is all about. That's what Christianity is all about. It's not about making you the best version of yourself. It's about giving your life to Christ and knowing that you are his. And so this is what Paul's telling Timothy as he's telling him, hey, you're going to go out and do these things. It's going to be hard. There's going to be suffering. We're doing it to further the gospel. So come join with me. If suffering is what results as following the gospel, then hey, suffering is what's going to happen, and we're good with that. And in Jesus' own words, as we just read in Mark, if you're not willing to deny yourself for Jesus, then I think you might be misleading yourself about your salvation. 
And, and I, don't say that, I don't say that lightly. I think it's important we understand the cost of following Christ because there is a cost to it. The rewards are great, but there is a cost to it as well. And part of that is denying ourselves. And so Paul's reminding Timothy of that. Timothy, this isn't about you. It's not about me. It's about furthering God's kingdom through the sharing of the gospel. And just in case he needed a reminder, just in case Timothy needed a reminder what the gospel was, Paul drops the gospel on him in verses 9 and 10. Let's look in verses 9 and 10. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He has saved us and called us. Verse 9, he has saved us and called us. He has saved us, meaning he has rescued us because we need to be rescued. And it's not just a rescuing. Now there's a calling on our lives to live in a way that honors him and that furthers his kingdom. That's what we're living for. That's our calling. Called us to a holy life. We're supposed to be set apart. This world is not going to tell you that self-denial is the way to happiness and the way to joy. The world is going to tell you, hey, get what's yours, get what you want. No matter what else is happening, it's all about you. But to be called to a holy life means to be set apart, means that we live differently than the culture, that we live differently than this world. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus. Again, in verse 9, not because of anything we have done, not because of anything we have done, but for his own purpose and grace, because of his own purpose and grace. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It wasn't about Paul. It's not about Timothy. It's about Jesus. That's what our lives are for, for worshiping and glorifying him. And so my question for you today is, do you know this gospel? Have you placed your faith in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, his finished work on the cross? Do you know that Jesus has called you to deny yourself in order to follow him? Are you willing to make that move? If that's something you want to learn more about, please Please reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you about what that looks like and about how we can give our lives for this gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done. We'd love to have that conversation with you. And for some of us, we're kind of fooling ourselves, thinking that we're, we can do all the things we want to do and still have Jesus. Oh, I, I don't, I can do whatever I want in regards to my sexuality and still follow Jesus. I can do whatever I want with my money and still follow Jesus. I can speak to people in horrific ways and still follow Jesus. See, that's not denying ourselves. Jesus says, deny yourself in order to follow him. Are we doing that? It's not about self-improvement. It's about self-denial.
And for those of you who are believers, are you fanning into flame the gift that God has given you? Are you taking what God has given you and are you using it for His glory? Those are questions we have to answer. Those are questions I have to answer. Those are questions you have to answer. All of us that are believers have to seriously think about that question. The things that God has gifted me with, the faith that He has given me, am I using that to glorify Him? Our gifts are not from us. They are not for us. They are for His kingdom. That is what our lives should be based on and that is where we will find true joy and hope for eternity not by looking to us in our own interests, but by looking to Jesus. Have you done that today? Are you in that, that place where you're okay with self-denial because you know what awaits is greater than anything that can happen to you? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for this letter in your word, God. Lord, I... I I even thank you that it's not easy. Suffering, the idea of suffering, the idea of self-denial is not something that we want. But Lord, we see the way that um, the world operates, this idea of self-fulfillment and self-improvement, and so many people are left miserable because none of that can fulfill because it was never intended to. Lord, but a life of denying ourselves for your glory brings about true joy. It doesn't bring about ease, but it brings about true joy and lasting joy. Lord, do we take hope and comfort in knowing what you have done? Lord, and what you have promised to those who follow you, God. Lord, where we struggle with this, help us to deny ourselves and to remember that the things you have given us are not from us and are not for us. They are gifts from you, and they are to be used for your kingdom and your glory. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.